Hey, we are in a wonderful season in the life of our church. Uh, beyond our local church, we are in a season of Lent, which are the 40 days, not counting Sundays, leading up to Easter. A wonderful time of prayer, fasting, and returning to God in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our rhythms. And we've got a great um, set of resources available for you, and so we'd encourage you to go to our website, pearlandvineyard.org, um, forward slash about, forward slash Lent. Everything is free. There's a devotional available for you, uh, some ways to pray, and we're just encouraging everybody to just unite as a family and pray. Uh, pray prayers that are personal. Pray prayers that are relational for those around you. Pray prayers for the larger community. And so you can find all those resources available on our website. This is a really wonderful time in the church. And I'm excited. We're in this great series titled We Believe. And Alan shared a wonderful start to the series last Sunday. And he focused on We Believe in God, the Father Almighty Creator. And it was great. And we read the Apostles' Creed. This series is, is looking at the foundational faith beliefs of the Christian church lined out in the Apostles' Creed. So can we read that together this morning? Would y'all join me? You know, you sounded so beautiful singing. It's like, why would we cut you short and not let your voices be heard in the preaching time, right? All right, so let's, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Let's read this together. Uh, as much or as little as you want, I will continue reading whether I hear your voices or not, okay? Good, we're on the same page. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The windsock. It's a good team effort right here. Thank you. Can y'all give Alan a hand for that? Yeah. Always looking out for his team, I tell you what. So there's so much packed in the Apostles' Creed. There's so much um, hope and belief. And so it just kind of sparked this question for me as I was preparing this talk. And this is it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about faith or about God? Anybody ever had a conversation with another human being about faith or God? Okay. There you go, a few of us. Just view this as, you know, if you haven't raised your hand by the end of today, this will be a conversation, so you can just add yourself to the, to the group. Have you ever had somebody tell you that they do not believe in God? Great. So here's, here's an interesting um, thought that I heard somebody share with me once that I really liked. And it's a way to engage someone who maybe says they don't believe in God. Ask them this question, or kind of make this statement. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in them either. Tell me about the God that you don't believe in. 
Because the reality of it for all of us is our beliefs matter greatly. What we believe about God or what we don't believe about God matters greatly. You know, on any given weekend in the United States, about 70% of people identify as being affiliated with the Christian church. Does that number surprise you a little bit? Is that kind of the feeling you get that 7 out of 10 people identify with the Christian church, Catholic, Protestant community? And in most cases, these Christian churches are focusing on the person of Jesus. Jesus becomes central in faith. Believing about Jesus and who Jesus is matters in those communities. And most often, Jesus is put at the center. And so what is it about Jesus all these years later that have people continuing to gather around the person and the life of Jesus? Have you ever thought about that lately? Like, why, why is it that Jesus continues to be so central? You know, it's my hope that in today's talk, you will more personally, just from this next 30 minutes or so, you, that you will more personally connect to the person of Jesus. That maybe today you'll begin belief in Jesus in a way that you've never had in your life. Or you'll deepen your faith in Jesus because you'll be more connected to the hope and the life and the love that he has for you. And like any week, as Alan and I, or whoever the primary communicator is, I think additionally our hope is that you will get another opportunity of hearing how to engage this conversation with the people in your life that maybe you'll interact with this next week. That maybe you can take something from this conversation and use it and apply it in the conversation that you're having with others. Did that just go out? It got really loud and then quiet. Okay. Hey, can y'all just do this for me? Will you celebrate our our audio team, because week in and week out, this this is going to be this is going to be really good. Hey, would y'all just do me a favor? I'm going to pray. Just kind of get reset that we would experience the kindness of the Lord in this next time, okay? So, God, we just say you are welcome. We've been worshiping. We've been inviting you through song. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you have your way? God, I just pray that you'd soften our heart. God, would your grace be greater in me? That the truth of who you are might be communicated with more clarity more hope and experience. And so we just say, come in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the thing I find interesting about Jesus is this. It's not just Christians who find him of value and worth. It's not just the Christian church that thinks Jesus is a notable man in history. 
Many people in other religions deeply admire Jesus. Here is what Gandhi says about Jesus. Jesus, a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Huh. You might not know this, but the holy book of Islam, the Quran, says this. It highlights Jesus as a prophet, as a truth teller, as a messenger to be revered. Jesus is highly revered in the Muslim community. Highly revered, highly admired among Hindus, among Muslims, among the Christian church. People, I think, in general go, man, that Jesus guy, he, he kind of lived a life worth taking a little bit of note for. But here's the thing. I don't think admiration is quite enough. I admire people all over the place. I can look out in this room and see numbers of people that I admire. I don't follow them with my life. So there's something about admiration, and I think there's something about Jesus inviting us to consider something more than just admiration. Oh, he's a nice guy. You know, like, that's, people actually say that about me. Oh, Kurt, he's kind of a nice guy. They don't worship me. They don't pray to me. There's something about Jesus that we all, all have to consider Is he asking of me something closer than admiration? Is he asking of me something deeper that moves me into a loving relationship that leads to surrendered following? Because here and in the Apostles' Creed and at the Vineyard Church, we believe Jesus is Lord. We don't just believe that Jesus is to be admired. We don't just believe that Jesus told the truth. We believe Jesus is Lord. And what I want to do today is just dig this thought a little bit deeper. And so we're going to start in Romans 10. And just to give you a heads up, I'm going to preach most of the Bible today. So this should be fun. But we can start in Romans 10. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you have your smartphone with the Bible app, open that up. If you have a Bible that was printed on real paper, God bless you. Open that up. Take notes. This is going to be good. Okay, so here we go. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart And my prayer to God is for you, for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we say, I believe in Jesus, the first truth that we are declaring that we believe is Jesus existed. I believe in Jesus. Jesus existed. There's an abundance of evidence that Jesus of Nazareth actually lived. He was a real human being who walked this earth in real time, in real space. Jesus existed. In Romans 10, we see Jesus as a central figure in the story. In the first century church, everyone knew that Jesus existed, and people were following a real person. Old Testament and New Testament point to the person of Jesus, the one who would come from God, of God, as God with us. Jesus existed. You know, it's interesting, there's some, there's some uh, kind of rhetoric and some conversations and dialogue going on right now that's actually questioning whether Jesus actually existed. But historians and generation after generation after generation point to the reality of Jesus, a real person who came and lived and walked among us. As Christians, our initial movement of faith is always toward the person of Jesus. This is not new for us in our day and age. The Christian faith has put Jesus at the center since the beginning. In, in many interactions in the New Testament, Jesus was approached, it was always movement towards Jesus that was faith for people. Think about Zacchaeus, climbed a tree, right? Just so he could see Jesus, he was just moving towards Jesus. A prostitute who comes and just lays down at his feet and begins to just anoint his feet and wash his feet. She moved towards Jesus, the woman at the well, person after person, the Roman soldier who came and understood authority and came to the person of Jesus so that their child might be healed. For all of us, we have to begin to ask the question, who are we moving towards? Jesus existed. The infinite God stepped into the here and now, came near, flesh and blood, lived, dwelled, and displayed real presence. Jesus existed. I believe in Jesus. Real time, real space. And I think this matters. The fact that Jesus existed is foundational in the Christian faith. But as we said earlier, I think there are other people who would say they believe Jesus existed. So that obviously is not quite enough, right? It's not just sufficient to believe that he existed and to admire him. So as we keep walking the creed forward, this is what it says. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah, the saving one. That's, that is his name. I was listening to another preacher share a, a message on the creed, and he said, you know, his, his name would not be first name Jesus, last name Christ. He said it would be Jesus the Christ. Because it means the Messiah, the saving one, the one 
who the people of God longed for in their hearts and in their lives through generation to generation, the hope of the world that the saving one would show up. Jesus saves. Before the birth of Christ, this is what it says in Matthew 1, 20 and 21. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, meaning Joseph. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The longing for the Messiah has been a theme of God's people and the human heart throughout all time. All time. The saving one, that we would experience freedom and liberation and hope that we would be set free from all the bondage and all the things that shackle us and all the things that hold us back that we might experience life the way it was intended. I don't know about you. I know me. I need a Savior. <laughs> if you hang out with me long enough, you'll know that too. I'm not perfect. I'm very aware that I'm not perfect. And because I'm not perfect, I can't keep the law. I'm disobedient. I'm rebellious in my heart. Therefore, I need another way. I need to be saved. And that's what we're talking about here. When we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves, the question is, what do we need saving from? Just think about that in your own life. What is it that you might need to be saved from? If you don't think you need to be saved, then you're good. You're good. I needed to be saved. I'm going to give you a glimpse into what I think we need to be saved from. To understand the scope of our saving, we need to understand that there is a real need in our life. If we go back to the very beginning of the story in Genesis, uh, Rich Nathan, the senior pastor of the Columbus Vineyard, highlights the consequences of sin and what it is that we need to be saved from and these are the, his words, and so I'm just going to give him credit because it was really good. And here's what he highlights in Genesis. If you read Genesis 3, the story of creation, and then you begin to see how Adam and Eve were interacting with God, they begin to experience rebellion in their heart. They don't fully believe the word of God, and they disobey God's word. That's what happens. That's the way the story gets told. And in Genesis 3, 8, what we see is we need to be saved from spiritual alienation. Genesis 3.8 says that they hid from God. They disobey God's word. They don't live in alignment with what God had asked them to. They step outside of God's best, and they, they begin to experience the result of sin, the consequences of sin. And when God comes walking through and he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? They hid from God. That's what we do today, right? If you experience life in any given moment, you talk to other people, there seems to be this real fear in us that maybe God won't really love me or I've got to get my life figured out before I can turn to God or look to God or he's angry, he's mad, he's kind of like spitting flames at everybody. It's like a big dragon or something. No, what we begin to realize is that in our hearts, because we recognize rebellion, we recognize disbelief, we hide from God. We're spiritually alienated from the one who loves us. If you keep reading, we begin to see that there's relational alienation, that they hide from each other. 
Genesis 3, 7, Adam and Eve hide from each other. They realize they're naked, they feel ashamed, and they begin to cover themselves. They begin to cover themselves with this, this reality that's like, I can't let you see me. I'm now aware of, like, my imperfections, and so I'm going to hide who I am from you. We don't let people in. We cover up, and we wear those wonderful church masks, don't you? Praise the Lord. It's all good, baby. It's all good. Hallelujah. How are you? I'm fine. I'm blessed. I'm good, which is true. There is truth in that unless you are aching inside and nobody knows. We hide from each other. It doesn't feel safe to let somebody know that I'm doubting. It doesn't feel safe to let somebody know that I'm terrified. It doesn't let, you know, feel safe to say, maybe I don't believe in God. So we just cover up. We cover up. We cover up from each other. At home, we hide from our parents. We hide from our spouse. We hide from our friends. And it isolates us and it creates loneliness that was never intended to be there. This is why Jesus came. He saves us from relational alienation. He saves us from psychological alienation. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can struggle in my own mind. My thoughts, not so helpful sometimes. <laughs> it can be destructive. They can be discouraging. They can be painful. Genesis 3.10, God's interacting with Adam. He says, why did you hide? I hid because I was afraid. I thought you were not going to love me anymore. I hid because there is now a brokenness in me that was never intended to be there. And physical alienation, Genesis 3, 17 and 18, talks about that because of our disobedience, because of our stepping outside of God's best, that there would be a curse on the earth. That the ground we would work would be toil and toil, and we'd come up with thorn and thistle, and that it would be labor upon labor upon labor that was never intended in God's best, but is a real consequence of sin, and we struggle today. We struggle with performance, we struggle with finding our worth and our value, and we struggle day in and day out, and we feel the weight of it, and Jesus says, this is why I've come. I've come to set all things right, I've come to make all things new, so that the, the ways you've been alienated because of disbelief, because of uh, isolation, because of this, this rebellious heart inside of you, I've come to make it okay and make it right. And we just did a series uh, right before we started this one called Mended, looking at the end and what God is doing. And out of Revelation 21, it says, I'm making all things new. This is why Jesus came, to save what was lost and to reclaim it and to resurrect it and to bring hope where we need it most. Jesus saves. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given, as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Made right with God. We can begin to reduce our unnecessary efforts of trying to do it on our own and embrace the saving one and what his loving works has already done for us. Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have freedom, that we might be restored. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, referencing Joel 2.32. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son on the ultimate rescue mission. Not a mission of condemnation, but a mission of saving grace. I believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus saves. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, 
Jesus reveals his Father. You know, throughout all of Scripture, we see that, that the books of Scripture were authored by different people and, and across a stretch of time. But we believe that God was the author and the perfecter of that, speaking hope as the true author of all the books. So there would be a kind of through line that was cohesive, revealing his love and his kindness and his character. One of the through lines of Scripture is the king and his kingdom. We believe that here at the Vineyard, just a kingdom perspective. Jesus always talked about the kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God. We believe Jesus reveals his Father. I'll tell you, there's a, another picture of this here and now, super close. Look at that handsome dude right there. This is Canton. He's my six-year-old son, our firstborn. Can't reveals his father. And I was thinking about Jesus, that if we look to Jesus, we begin to see a picture of God the Father that we've always been intended to see and experience and encounter. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Jesus reveals his father. The baptism of Jesus, we shared this last week because we had an amazing baptism service where five guys were baptized last week here at the vineyard. We talked about the baptism of Jesus, that, that God, the voice of God comes down as the Father and says, this is my son who I love in whom I take great pleasure. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that we begin a loving relationship with him. He adopts us as sons. And I know that, that doesn't sound like gender appropriate for today's age, but men and women alike are adopted as sons because culturally speaking, the firstborn son got the blessing. The firstborn son got the inheritance of the kingdom from the father king. And that's what we all get. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, because you are being invited to the fullness of the kingdom, to receive the fullness of the kingdom as adopted sons and daughters being treated just like Jesus was by his Father. A relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Made right with God. This is the aim. This is the relationship. This is the purpose. And this is so central to what we believe. Is it affecting our hearts and our minds the way it was always intended to? Jesus says this of himself, I only do what I see my Father doing, John 5, 19. If you've seen me, you have seen my Father, John 14, 9. The end of the life of Jesus in John 17, this is what he prays. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. We are called sons, adopted as recipients of the firstborn blessing and inheritance. We get the joy of receiving the love that the Father lavishes on Jesus. This is so central, essential, and this is like the heartbeat of God that you would know the love he has for you. 
Jesus revealed the Father. And the revelation is that you are loved beyond measure. And that he was willing to send his son to lay down his life so that we might be saved, that we might be loved, that me, we might be welcomed home. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Here's where the line gets drawn in the sand. Jesus is Lord. The Christian faith, we believe Jesus is Lord. That there is an ultimate surrender and followership that places Jesus in front. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there is a place where Jesus is put as Lord over my life, my mind, my heart, my emotions, my beliefs, my relationships, my purpose, my passions. Everything inside of me begins to get put under the Lordship of Jesus. And I just say, if you are real, if you do save, if you reveal the Father, will you work in me that I might be set free and become fully alive? Jesus is Lord. This king and kingdom kind of view of Scripture is played out in this language. And so one of the things about lordship is that they were worshipped. You worshipped the Lord who had authority over you. Well, at his birth, the Magi worshipped Jesus. They knew, the scriptures testified that there would be one coming who was worth all of our worship. And the Magi did this from day one, maybe year two, but, you know, that's another conversation. The wise men, the king, showed up with gifts and worshipped Jesus. Matthew 28, 9 says this, and as they went, this is after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried and then resurrected, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. The disciples, the friends of Jesus, when he was resurrected, fell at his feet and worshiped him. They knew Jesus was to be worshiped. Of himself, Jesus never rejected worship. He knew who he was in the Father and he was worshipped. The reality of Jesus is he said some really compelling things that lots of people like. He said some really hard things as well. Jesus said some gripping things about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life, life abundantly. So here it is. Either Jesus is a liar, he was a lunatic, or he is Lord. Either everything he said about himself was a lie, he was completely out of his mind, or we have to deal with the fact that he is Lord. The major religions of the world say he said he was a truth teller. So maybe that first one, hard to, to, to deal with. If he's a truth teller, he's not a liar. If he's a truth teller, he's not a lunatic. So who do you say Jesus is? When you think about your life, who do you say Jesus is? Romans 10.9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Jesus invites us to follow him, full surrender. It's not Jesus is admirable. Uh, Jesus, he's kind of a nice guy. There is a deep call in the life of Christ for your entire life. That you would know the love of God so that you would openly receive the lordship of Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. In my own life, I've heard lots of ideas, I've seen lots of things, and here's the simple reality for me. Lots of people give me lots of beliefs that keep me at the center, my efforts, my control, my life. It's a very postmodern way to live. I think in some ways Gandhi had it pretty close. Jesus laid down his life for me to reveal the love of the Father, to save me from myself so that I could know him as Lord. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all about relationship, and it's about taking yourself out of the center of the story and letting Jesus become the center of who you are, that you might know the love of the Father, that you might be one who follows Jesus every day of your life and be full of his spirit because he loves you. We believe Jesus is Lord. What do you believe?